All right, Brie. Hi. How do we know each other? We share a trash can in the web pod at News 6. Okay. What do you do, what do, you do at News 6? I write stories for our website, clickorlando.com, mm-hmm. and then I write TV scripts based off the stories I write for clickorlando.com and talk about them on our 9 a.m. show and some other shows. So sometimes you have questions, and what do you do when you have space questions? I tap you and stop you and interrupt you from whatever you're doing and say, hey, Emily, just like everyone else in the newsroom does. Yeah, that's true. So recently we were talking about something and you asked me a question. Do you remember what that question was? Yes. And is this going to sound dumb? Are people going to think I'm dumb? No, this is this is why we are doing this show. Okay. So that people can ask their questions and we can get them answers. Well, how did the International Space Station get there in the first place? Like, did it go up piece by piece? Mission STS-88 is the first space shuttle flight dedicated to the assembly of the International Space Station primary cargo of the Space Shuttle Endeavor will be the Unity Connecting Module. Astronomy was a unit in sixth grade science for me, and we Mm -hmm. never really touched on it again. Right. Unless you had to take it in college, and I didn't. So everything I know about space now, I know about you, or from you. (laughs) But I first heard about the International Space Station in that sixth grade astronomy unit. So it wasn't a foreign term, Mm -hmm. but... I didn't know much about it. Okay. I'm going to answer your question about how the space station got put in space. Okay. I'm excited to learn. All right. We'll check back in. Okay. From WKMG in Orlando, this is Space Curious, the show that answers your intergalactic questions. I'm your host, Emily Speck. I'm a space reporter, and I grew up on the space coast watching launches from my backyard. It took me a long time to realize just how lucky I was live miles away from where Apollo 11 launched to the moon, and history is made all the time. I hope to share some of that wonder with you through this podcast. It's designed to inspire everyone, from the space curious to the space fanatics. At any given time, as we're sitting in traffic or walking the dog, up to six astronauts from several countries are working and living above us in space. This year marks the 20th year humans have been living in space. That means college students today have never known a day without an astronaut orbiting above them on the International Space Station. And we do have live TV of the astronauts as they're seated in their crew quarters. The International Space Station, or ISS, is just shy of the same length as an American football field. It's the largest spacecraft ever built. Its construction was a collaboration between 16 different countries. Basically, the space station is a floating six-bedroom home for astronauts. It also doubles as an orbiting laboratory with hundreds of experiments ongoing at one time, from growing vegetables to research involving mice and flies. To help explain how the International Space Station came to be, I spoke with someone who was there at the beginning. And our commander, Bob Cabana, on his fourth mission. Bob Cabana is currently the director of the Kennedy Space Center in Merritt Island, Florida. I met him in his office at the new NASA Kennedy Space Center headquarters. His top floor office has a view that overlooks the whole Space Center. He can see Launch Pad 39A, where Neil, Buzz, and Michael launched the moon, and all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. It overlooks the wildlife preserve the Space Center is part of. Cabana has been in charge of KSC since 2008. Before he led the Kennedy Space Center, he was an astronaut. He flew on four space shuttle missions and served as the chief of the astronaut office at Johnson Space Center in Houston. And then I uh, got assigned to uh, command Endeavor on the first space station assembly mission, which we flew in 
uh, December of 1998. What does it mean to command a, an orbiter? But the commander is responsible for the execution of the mission on orbit. And uh, you're assigned a year ahead of time. Uh, you're responsible for ensuring that your crew is trained and ready to go. Now, obviously, there's a ton of folks at Houston that are supporting all that. And uh, ultimately, the flight director in mission control is responsible for the execution of the mission and making sure that everything goes right. But on orbit, you're in command. I mean, it's your crew. It's your spaceship. Copy. And Endeavor, close and lock your visors and initiate O2 flow. You have a very exciting mission ahead of you. We wish you maximum success. The ISS is basically a giant floating laboratory and research facility where scientists from around the world can send their experiments and astronauts work and live. Many science experiments can benefit from low gravity or microgravity because that's not something we have here on Earth. The astronauts themselves are also guinea pigs and part of a much greater experiment. In space, their bodies are constantly evaluated and they well document their health and wellness. This helps us determine how well humans will do for long-duration space flights to Mars and beyond. Nine, eight, we have a go for main engine start. We have main engine start, four, three, two, one. We have booster ignition and liftoff. Space Shuttle Endeavour launched on December 4th, 1998 from Kennedy Space Center, with Bob Cabana as the commander, along with four other NASA astronauts and Russian cosmonaut Sergei Kirkalev. Heading northeast from the Kennedy Space Center toward a 240-mile-high rendezvous with the Zarya control module. Cabana says the night before takeoff, he and his daughter went to see a newly restored version of The Wizard of Oz at the movie theater. The next night, he and his crew were launched into space. And uh, the next morning, after was the day on orbit, the wake-up music was uh, Judy Garland singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. This is kind of a cool tradition. During the Apollo and space shuttle programs, astronauts would wake up in space to songs usually selected by friends and family members. The song could be symbolic and was typically dedicated to one astronaut or had a theme with the mission. The musical moment was usually followed by a good morning greeting from Mission Control in Houston. My daughter had arranged it, and I, I had like tears in my eyes. I mean, it was emotional. And uh, I always tell folks, uh, somewhere over the rainbow, dreams do come true. Because in my mind, we launched over that rainbow, and we had an absolutely dream flight from start to finish. It just went flawlessly. It, was, uh, it sets a stage for the whole space station uh, assembly sequence, having that first mission go so well. So now you're in orbit. What happens next? After launch, we got on orbit, got everything set up. Mm -hmm. uh, the very first task that we had was to get node one out of the uh, payload bay and attach it to the orbit docking that? station. Tell, tell me a little bit so about it. Node one yeah. is Unity. Mm -hmm. uh, it is the central node to the space station that everything connects to. All right. And uh, Unity was just a, a great name because it's binding our international partners together. Unity basically looks like a giant tin can, and it's packed with wires and lines that carry gases, fuel, and power to the rest of the station. Its primary purpose was to connect living and working spaces on the ISS. You know, as a team, we need Unity in anything that we do if we're going to be successful. So, Unity as a name for Node One was outstanding. The month before this mission, Russia launched its piece of the ISS Zarya into space where it waited. 
Zarya and Unity were created on opposite sides of the world, but now Cabana and his crew were tasked with connecting the two pieces. Cabana had to fly Endeavor under Zarya and catch it, and then using the arm on the space shuttle, they grabbed it and attached it to Unity. It took a while, and basically his fellow astronaut used the space station arm to grab it and place one on top of the other, and they did it in the orbiter bay. Nancy Curry was my arm operator. Nancy uh, had a PhD in industrial engineering, and she lifted Unity out of the payload bay, and she had like less than an inch of clearance on either side and just did it flawlessly. And, and that was the beginning of the space station. And, and then we still had a lot of work to do. After they activated it, they had computers on the flight deck of the space shuttle. And we commanded the space station to turn on and start operating its computers and you know, basically turned on the lights of the International Space Station. The space station now had independent power and was communicating with mission control back on Earth. Uh, when it came time to go inside, uh, I didn't tell anybody who was going to be first. And I, the media kept asking, and I, I wouldn't tell, I didn't even tell the crew. So when it came time to enter, I said, Sergey, get up here. In the video recorded by the crew of this moment, you see Bob Cabana and Sergey Kirkolev float up to the door face to face. It looks like a tight squeeze, but Cabana extends an arm as if to say, after you and then they both float through the hatch into the ISS at the same time with huge grins on their faces. So there was no first person to enter the International Space Station. Uh, I felt as an International Space Station, we needed to enter as an international crew. So it was, uh, I, got, I had the privilege of being the first American and Sergei was the first Russian. 16 countries contributed to the building of the ISS, and astronauts from 18 countries and counting, including the European Union, Russia, Canada, Japan, and the UAE have visited the space station. The night the space station was born, Cabana said some of the astronauts had trouble getting in their eight hours of sleep because they were so excited. We stayed up till like four o'clock in the morning, just working and talking and, you know, thinking about the future. What, what, what does this mean? What have we accomplished here? What are we setting in motion? What does it mean to our future as far as mm -hmm. space exploration and partnerships and where are we going? And it was just, it was really neat. Finally, I said, look, we got a really busy day tomorrow. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta grab a few hours of sleep. On that mission, how, how long did you think that people would be working and living on the International Space Station? I mean, that's, you know, we're approaching 20 years now. Sure. Well, it was designed for a 15-year uh, a life, mm -hmm. all right? So we've already extended modules on it that uh, got up there after that, uh, specifically the node and the FGB, you know, but it's doing well. It's, yeah. it's really working well. How is it doing so well? I mean, what does it take to maintain? We are constantly uh, doing maintenance on the International Space Station. BB-1 copy, Stephanie, hello. So excited to be talking to you again. Yes, good morning, Jessica and Christina, and thank you, Luca. Jessica and Christina, on your DCMs, take your power switches to bat, stagger switch throws, and expect a warning count. At the time of this interview, NASA astronauts Christina Koch and Jessica Muir were suited up and working outside the station, marking the third time an all-female extravehicular activity, a.k.a. a spacewalk, was conducted in history. Copy. Check display switch functional. After hundreds of spacewalks, it wasn't until late 2019 for the first woman-only spacewalk to happen. EV1 display switch functional. EV2 display switch functional. Well, what's 
next for the space station? I mean, we're approaching 20 years. So eventually it's going to be too old. It's not going to be on orbit anymore, right? So in the meantime, we're encouraging, we're enabling commercial operations on the space station to show the benefit of research and uh, working in space. And we're looking at commercial modules docked with the space station. But the goal is that when the space station is no more, there's a commercial replacement. And there are a number of companies that are looking at smaller space stations in orbit, in low Earth orbit, to do the science, to be the destination for commercial crew. And that's, that's what we want to enable. In February 2020, NASA announced Axiom Space will begin building its own private space station. To start, it will attach modules to the ISS. But when the International Space Station is ready to be turned off and retired, essentially becoming space junk, the Axiom Space Station will detach and float on, creating the next generation of an orbiting home around Earth, but this time paid for by private dollars. All right, Bree. So we're back at the station. Mm -hmm. The space station? We're not on the space (laughs) station. We're not on the space station. We're back at the TV station. station. Yes, Yes, we're here. Yes. So... What did you think? I learned so much. I know I feel like a space station expert now, but seriously, it was very informative. You went beyond answering my question. And then I like just learning in that 14 minute episode made me want to have 20 more episodes about the space station. I came in with all those questions. Remember, after listening to it for the first time, it's like, Emily, I want to go. <laughs> Someone once told me astronauts, they're just like us, except for they can fly upside down and they go to space. So I think uh, the director Cabana is, is kind of an exemplary version yes, of that. He's, he was awesome. He's very down to earth and and has amazing cool stories that we could do about thirty or forty podcast episodes on. And so. I hope you will because yeah. I can't wait to hear them. Okay, great. All right, thank you. What are you curious about? If you enjoyed this podcast and have more intergalactic questions for us to answer. Submit your queries at clickorlando.com slash space. You can also reach out to me directly on Twitter at emspec. Find Space Curious wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. New episodes drop every other Wednesday. This episode was recorded, edited, and co-produced by Zach Rosen and myself. Derek Moiser, Ryan Haley, and Philip Deems are recording in production. A special thank you to KSC director Bob Cabana, News 6 digital reporter Brianna Voles, the NASA History Office, NASA's Kennedy Space Center Public Affairs, and Apache Logical. I'm Emily Speck. Tune in next time for more stories that are truly out of this world.